good morning to those of you here at South Park. Good morning to those of you joining us at New City Live. I am so glad to worship with you this morning and would love to connect with you. So please, if this is your first time, come to Connection Point out in the courtyard after the service or find somebody with one of these really cool lanyards and they will connect with you. Or you can go to newcity.us slash connect. Fill out a form there and someone will connect with you this week. As we look towards Group Link, which is happening next Sunday, we want to share stories of groups here at New City. And so, and just how they've impacted different people in our congregation. So let's watch this video of a couple of group leaders and how their group has impacted their lives. The Holy Spirit really had placed in our hearts already a um, the gift for serving. And when we got to New City Church, which was in 2018, um, we just were, we weren't really sure where did He want us to serve in, and we just had um, the opportunity to join a group as a participant, just to participate in a group and be part of a group. And that's how we started, and we joined an amazing group that we love till today. They're good friends of ours. And from that, it led to um, the church having the opportunity to have a meeting and having the need to have facilitators. So we volunteered, and now um, how many years? Two and a half years or three years have passed, and here we are. God has done marvelous things in those years. Actually, we went to just represent our group for the group, and somehow we ended up being volunteered for <laughs> volunteering, a group, and that's where it started. So, yeah. group link with that was actually the whole mm -hmm. uh, construct of, of putting it together, referring us to the people. We didn't have to do anything; we just had to say, "Okay, yes," and and yeah. that's how it, it just we just had to be available, and that's how it happened. That's a good point. We just had to. Be available that's mm -hmm. a good point because I think that everything else the church made it happen God made it happen himself mm -hmm. through the church and the church provided the tools the people that were um, there because they had a need one way or another wanting to join a group being part of a family so we were just there with open hearts to see what the Lord whatever he had us for us When you look at being part of a small group, you know, like I said, it's a little scary, it's a little odd sometimes. Uh, but in two years that we participated as a, in a small group and facilitating small groups, we were thinking in reference to these questions last night, and we started counting all the people that in two years, we counted close to 50 people that have been in our lives sharing Christ, us with them and them with us. So that's incredible, being able to say, just in a short two years, the group or group linked or, or the small group has allowed us to share with 50 people mm -hmm. our faith with Christ and them their faith with Christ with us. That's incredible.
just want to be a part of their group. They're amazing. We would love for you to think about joining a group. And we know that can be a big step. So we've created a place for you to come to where group seekers and group leaders can meet together to connect to find the right fit. So join us for Group Link next Sunday um, from 5 to 7 at the Matthews location. Okay, you can go online to newcity.us events and sign up there to go for dinner and to meet some other people. Another great way to connect is Next Step. Next Step happens the last Sunday of each month. So next Sunday at 11 a.m. here at the South Park campus, another way to meet some staff and other people and find out what your next step is to get connected at New City. Thank you for being a generous church, one who gives continuously. Each day, you're helping bring gospel renewal to our city and world. So please, if you want to give today, there's a couple ways you can do that. You can do so in person. You can also go online to give there or even set up a recurring gift at newcity.us give. Or you can text the number on the screen. But will you take a minute and pray with me for our offering and God's gracious provision for us? Lord, thank you um, just for how great you are, that you call us your child, that you provide so abundantly for us in so many ways. And we just want to take a minute to thank you for how you're providing for us in our personal lives, to, to give to others and bless them, how you're providing in our church to allow us to help others and bring them the good news of Jesus and in our city. Lord, help us to continue to see those needs and meet them. Thank you for meeting ours. In Jesus' name, amen. everybody. Good to see you all. Good to, good to be here with you. Thank you so much for being here today. It's always good to be um, together uh, as God's people in, in this space to, today. My name is Nick Schreiber. I am the, the care pastor here at New City, um, and it's always my privilege to be able to uh, get to open up and preach God's word to God's people. And if you're joining us online at New City Live, just want to send a special welcome out to you, and we're grateful that you're watching us from wherever you are today. Uh, we're going to be jumping back into our sermon series, What We Believe, where we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And today we're going to be um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. So you can start making your way uh, in, uh, there in your, in your scriptures, or you can even pull up the New City app if you, if you have it. Many of you have been tracking with us through this series, and you may recall how in our very first message, uh, we, we looked at Paul's greeting, and in verse, verses 1 and 2 of the very first chapter, Paul greets the Ephesian Christians with this phrase. He says this, he says, May the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And we talked about how those two words, grace and peace, they were, they were significant. They were significant because Paul takes two common greetings from two different cultures, and he places them together. 
So the word grace, a common greeting for those who are Greek, and peace, a common greeting for those who are Jewish, he puts them side by side, in essence, uniting both of them for a distinctly Christian greeting. But that's not all. Uh, that's not the only reason why those two words are, are, are significant. They're also significant because race and peace become major themes in the book of Ephesians. And, and we uh, will see that very clearly in Ephesians chapter you might, you might recall how Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses are all about the grace of God. And Pastor Chris walked us through how, how we were dead in our sin. We were deserving of God's wrath. We were sinners by nature and by choice, but God loved us. God extended grace. And today in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, we're going to see this beautiful message about the peace of God. Namely, the peace of that Christ brings and gives to us as a result of the cross, his work on the cross. And it has amazing implications for us, but it also has amazing implications for the people of God. Grace and peace. Anyone want a little peace for a change? Um, I mean, you look around and you, you look at the world and you see nothing, you see nothing but, but the opposite. Hostility, divisions, violence. You turn on the news or even watch the Winter Olympics and, these, there, and there's these undertones and threats of war between countries. You turn on the NFL and there's very pronounced racial tensions at play. You look at some of our world leaders or politics and there's pronounced antagonism and that's just out there. Sadly, some of us walk into our homes or into our extended families or, or even into our churches and there's fighting or there's disunity. There's it's all around us, and it leaves many of us uh, longing for and wishing for what, uh, that, that phrase from miscongeniality. We want, we want world peace. It's what we want. We long for it, but it seems absent. It seems slippery. Well, uh, do you want the good news or the bad news? As we've talked about this, this series, the bad news, there's a sin problem. We all have a sin, sin problem, and sin brings with it brokenness in our, into our relationships, into our world. It breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with each other. Sin is the great separator, as someone said. And as a result, hostility and divisions, they are and they will be a marker in the world. But the good news is that everything that we need for peace is found in one person. Jesus is the great peacemaker. In and through him, peace with God and with others is found. And, and hostility and divisions do not need to mark, ought not to mark God's people anymore. And this leads us to our bottom line this morning, and that's this, that Christ himself has brought peace to us. Christ himself has brought peace to us. And this, fa- this, this, this phrase is pulled directly from verse 14. And I love, I love how each clause carries with it this weight to it. Christ himself. He is the main actor, the central figure in bringing peace. And look just how it sounds so personal. Christ himself has brought peace, namely through his blood, namely through the cross. And he's brought peace to us, peace to us in our hearts, but also peace to us. And this is a big theme in, our, in, the, in the passage, a peace to us as his people. Christ himself has brought peace to us. And One thing to note is that the goal of God's redemptive plan is is bigger than just you and me individually, but it's about him him creating a whole new humanity. 
And so we're going to see these giant themes through this, this passage. And so if you have your, your, your copy of the scriptures, I would love to have you stand. Um, and we'll have the verses on the screen as well in case you want to follow along. But I'd love for us to read this section together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Here's God's word to us today. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their uncircumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises of God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. You may be seated. God's word to us today. Man, thank you so much. What, what an amazing feat to read that together. I love it. And wow, what a passage. Um, as you can see, there's so much in these verses. And as you, as you hopefully are, are in the, the, the passage and you're, and you're tracking with us this morning, you'll, you'll notice that the, the passage has three main movements and it'll form our outline. And each movement I've taken, I've taken for the title the first two words of that section. And so you'll see verse 11, don't forget. It's the first section. Verse 13, but now. Verse 19, so now. Don't forget, but now, so now. And in each movement, there'll be an image, an image that emerges that Paul uses to help us imagine, to help us see, to help us feel the incredible blessings uh, and peace that Christ brings. And so this first movement, verse 11 through 12, don't forget. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. The first thing that Paul, Paul does is call his readers to look backwards, to remember their situation, the state that they were before they came to know Jesus. And this is very similar to what Paul does at the beginning of the chapter in verses 1 through 3, where, where there's something important about remembering the state of where we were or remembering the bad news. And before Paul points their eyes to the, to the but now or the so now, so to speak, he wants them to remember how far away they were from God, how far away they were from reception in the community. 
Don't you forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Have you ever felt like an outsider? I know I have. It's hard to forget. I, I, I can remember specific times where I, I felt like I wasn't included or I wasn't brought in. I was less than. I wasn't accepted. was distanced. And that's how the Gentiles felt and that's how they were treated. We, I mean, just through reading the passage one time, you can easily pick up that the, the context of the passage is, is all about this, this, these tensions between Jews and Gentiles. Jews were those, those born as Israelites, God's chosen people from whom the Messiah would come. Gentiles, uh, which is a pretty all-inclusive term for everyone else, those who were not born non-Jewish. And you see in this passage, there's, they're very, there are, there's racial and cultural and social, sociological tensions at play. And there was this improper pride that grew among the Jewish people, a superiority that developed out of their chosenness, out of their right ritual practices, out of their ceremonial laws. And Paul even references a a term of derision that was used by the Jews to the Gentiles, uncircumcised heathens, they were called. But even within all that, as Gentiles, they were far away. They were on the outside of the privileges given to the Jewish people, God's people. And you see that in verse 12 where there's these five kind of whammy statements is what I call them. These five statements that speak to to their quote-unquote disadvantage. Verse 12 says, In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. I mean, wow, can you imagine that was their state. That, that was our state. Before Jesus, that's where we were. And the majority of us in this room, I would say, or probably would say we're, we're, we're quote-unquote Gentiles, right? And so, and so as we think about this, and now again, I'm so grateful that the, the plan of God, God's gracious plan of God, always had us in scope. But in this moment, in that context, as they're trying to figure out what Christ has done, it makes me so thankful for Paul and for those that came after who started to sow the seed of the gospel. Because when Paul starts hitting the road for Europe, man, the seed of the gospel is coming to us in this room. And Paul's bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. The reality, though, is also that the Jewish people, even though they had access, even though they had the law, even though they had the sacrificial system, that they they also were separated from God because they couldn't keep the law. They, they also were dead in their sin. They also needed Christ. But, but altogether, again, Paul points us in this section back to the place where we were. And there was a wall of hostility separating them as peoples and separating them from God. And that's the image that comes up in this first section. It's the image of a wall. Uh, a wall, I mean, it's a pretty strong image that... that that has pretty clear purposes and messaging. Um, and so, if, again, if, you, if there was a wall that separated you all from me, that connotes some messaging. If there was a wall that split this, uh, this middle aisle from one side to the other, that's a pretty powerful image. What's interesting is that the wall of hostility that Paul references was, was in reference to an actual wall a wall that he had seen and he had walked past many times in the temple courts of Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if all of his readers could picture it, but I know that he could. And the symbolism was stark because in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a literal partition made of stone 
which height was about four and a half feet tall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the court of, of Israel. And there was limited gateways through the wall and, and there was stone signs placed near the, those gateways warning that no foreigner could enter or he himself would be bl- to blame for his death. And so you imagine this, this wall that Paul makes reference, makes reference to and, and, and this wall separated Jews from Gentiles and it indicated a separation between, between the Gentiles and their God and this symbolism of the wall, the, the weight of it, Paul is indicating to his remembers, I want you to remember it because I fear it's being brought into the church and may it not be, but I want you to remember it because I want you to remember you were outside. I want you to remember how far you were because now I want you to see what Christ has done, which moves us to the second, the second movement, but now, Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18. Some of the sweetest words in scriptures with that preposition, but, but now. We were separated, we were divided, but now. And Jesus is the central figure of this second movement. Jesus is peace, he's brought peace, he's made peace, he's proclaimed peace, you name it. This section is emphatically clear that Jesus is the peacemaker, bringing peace between us and God and between us and each other. In a world that has seen peace missions fail, thousands of peace treaties broken over the years, we sit in amazement that the ultimate peace mission was accomplished. It was successful. And if you look with me at verses 13 through 14, I believe these are the core verses of the entire passage. Verses 13 says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away, but, but, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Jesus broke down the wall. That wall, he broke it. And, and look at all the other things. I mean, he, through him, he, you were, were united to God, to others. He, we're brought near, we have peace. He's created one new people between Jew and Gentile. And what's the means? What's the instrument he uses? All through the, all, all through the passage, you see it, it's the cross. Verse 13, verse 14, through 16, or, or verse 13, 14, 16, through his blood, through his body on the cross, through his death, it's so clear that the instrument is the cross. So in this one work, he did it. And only he could accomplish it. And now that he has accomplished it, accomplished it he's brought us peace and he's provided reconciliation. Peace defined as this idea of making the relationship whole destroying hostility, bringing harmony, making right. And it, broadly, it has this idea of wholeness, harmony, but relationally, there's peace. And he's brought reconciliation. Reconciliation is this idea of to bring together again. I mean, there's many, many of us understand this idea of, of, of marriages needing to be reconciled, mother-daughters needing to be reconciled, and so it has this idea of, of those who were once not getting along or once enemies, now friends, now being made right. And how does Jesus do it? How does the cross do that? Well, first, the cross, what it does is it provides the way. It accomplishes the peace because Jesus, he fulfilled the requirements of the law in his life. He was perfectly, he perfectly obedient. 
He was sinless. He fulfilled all the types and shadows of the Old Testament ceremonial law where it says that blood needed to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And him being a sinless, unblemished sacrifice, he goes, uh, he accomplishes what we couldn't, he accomplishes and fulfills the law. And when he dies and when he rises again, he fulfills the law. And so since he did the work, there's no more need for the wall. There's no, more, there's no more need for us to fulfill the law because he's done it. And now he simply says, I've done it. I can extend grace to all. And access to salvation is given freely to all the same way. Which is the second thing he does. So he provides the way, but he also levels the playing field. There's now no prerequisites for entry, for entry into the privileged relationship. All are given access to the Father through the same way. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups by means of his death on the cross, is what verse 16 says. Both groups to God by means of the same way. So whether Jews or Gentiles, all of us, Jews needed the cross, Gentiles needed the cross, and we're all able to come before him united, brought peace because we all are in the same situation, created by God, dead in our sins, And yet we need the same Savior. And it's through the same Spirit. Which is why Paul says things like, I boast only in the cross. He says things like, for I have resolved to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Because it's in the cross that the peace is given to us and to to each other. But through the cross, something else happens. Not only does he bring peace and reconciliation, but he makes something new. He builds something new. He ushers in a, a whole new humanity. Because we're no longer, because we're all able now to come to the Father the same way, all who subscribe to Christ now become part of a new humanity, a new people, united by his love, united because of the cross, united because of grace. And if you notice in verse 15, it it doesn't say that this is just wishful thinking on his part. It says it's actually what he does. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people. The image of this section obviously is the cross. So the first section was the wall. This section is the cross. You think about just the cross beams of the cross. I mean, you can see it on the stained glass above me. The vertical beam is the perfect illustration of what Christ reconciled us between us to himself. The horizontal, because of the cross, he brings reconciliation between us and each other. And not only does he bring peace and reconciliation in those two different ways, but it also pulls us together. Right? The cross brings us to God, brings us close to him. The cross brings us to each other. Draws our hearts to each other, restores relationships. And we, can, we have so many stories of people that are so different saying, no, but we, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Which I think is a, a big question that this passage leads us to ask. Paul wants us to, to wrestle with. Is, and it's this, is Christ bigger than the things that divide us? The sad reality is sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we don't feel one. We don't feel united. And I think that the heartbeat, one of the heartbeats of this passage, is Christ bigger than the things that divide us? Can he be bigger? Listen, I know that we, we have Christians who are Republicans and we have Christians who are Democrats. We have vaxxer Christians and anti-vaxxer Christians. We have Christians who, 
who, who are racial justice advocates. And then we have those who have concerns and are cautious about layers of the social justice movement. We have those who love a more traditional service than those who don't. We have Christians who disagree on certain standards around how things should be done or how people should live. We have cultural differences and racial differences. We have differences that, that, that God has given to humanity and will not and should not go away. It's the way God's created it. There's uniquenesses and quirks that we all carry into the family. I mean, we have Christians who are cat people, Christians who are dog people. And yet, back to the question, is Christ bigger than the things that divide us? And the reality is that the question has been answered for us. The answer is yes. Christ is bigger. Jesus is bigger. It's not wishful thinking. He's made us new creations and has brought a new humanity into existence. He's taken the two groups and created something that had not previously existed, like he does in marriage. He does it in the body. And our job is to know it, embrace it, and to live live it out. It doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that, that we all will have to conform to the same type of opinions on things. It, it probably, you know, will mean that the, the family of God will look, will look really diverse. But that's the beauty of the gospel and that's the power of the cross. So when you think about those issues that I just named, an anchor passage for us to keep leaning into the family of God, to keep listening, to keep posturing ourselves with humility is this passage because Christ has died for it. Christ has died for unity. He's died to redeem a people for himself and to make something new, which moves us to this third and last movement. Verses 19 through 22 says, so now. So now you are Gentiles, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So we move from strangers to citizens, from foreigners to family. As citizens, we, we, all, we all now surrender ourselves to the king. We all have the same rights. We all have the same markers, Holy Spirit, through the Spirit. We have the same homeland. And we're all part of a kingdom, his kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world. And we're all family. I heard a pastor once say this. He said, it's not that we're like family. We are family. I thought, and it just stuck with me. It's not that we are like family. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. We have the same father, the same access, the same inheritance. And listen, when you're a part of a family, you don't get to choose your brothers or sisters, Right? Now, they're, they're a part of the deal. And I don't say that to kind of impress upon us, hey, just buck it up, you know. But I, what I'd say it is to help us embrace the reality, the beauty of it. That, hey, all who trust in Christ are family and the reality of that ought to move us towards one another. And you look at this last image, verses 20, 20 through 22. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. The image is a temple, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you are, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are a temple for the Lord, a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. This is the image where I, I believe Paul hits this crescendo in this third section. And this is the image for our last movement. You're the wall, the cross, we are a temple. 
The foundation is the gospel. It's what the apostles and the prophets brought. It's revelation from God. They bring the gospel. They speak God's word. And the cornerstone is Christ. That pivotal and then precious stone that holds all things together. It can only be one, one cornerstone. And it, and it aligns and unifies all things in him. And we as the stones are being built upon it. And what's cool is that this architectural imagery would have been familiar to his readers. They would have clearly been able to picture a temple. I mean, just open up their window and they'd see the temple of Artemis, right? The, that would, would house the, the, the great goddess of Diana. And it was the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And isn't it interesting in this passage how, how Paul draws his readers' imaginations to two great temples in the world, both built by hands, both empty of the living God. You know, John Stott, great, great pastor, theologian, he wrote this, he says, the new temple, however, is neither a material building nor a national shrine, nor has it a localized site. It's a spiritual building and it's an international community embracing Gentiles as well as Jews. And it has a widespread, and it has worldwide spread for wherever God's people are to be found, that's where God dwells. He's not tied to holy dwellings, but to a people made, by, made holy by Christ's work, a people that are his own new society. We're a temple. We're carefully joined together, all of us, into this as the temple of the Lord. God dwells in us. We are united through Christ, the gospel, and the spirit. And as the temple, as a temple, what do we do? We're worshipers. And as a temple... What are we called to do? To be a light for the nations. So as I close, we have this don't forget, but now, so now, three images, a wall, the cross, a temple. You know what's interesting about this passage is that there's not a lot of commands in it. He doesn't give us any direct statements of application. He really spends all the time helping us to see, to remember, to imagine, to understand. You know, last fall I was able to, I go to DC and and go and walk to the National Gallery of Art. And I loved it. It was one of my favorite museums to walk through. Um, And and as I was walking, I mean, the images just help us remember history. The images Help us, help us imagine and wonder what, what life was like. The imagery, the images, the, the great art helps us to see things. And I wonder if that's what Paul is doing in this passage. Is he wants us to see and imagine who we truly are. A pastor once heard, said this, he said, we as Christians have a sight problem. And if we can just see who God's made us that that'll move us and prompt us to then live into that. You know, this, the experience that we have of God's peace, we're to extend that to others. Because of what Christ has accomplished, we're called to extend it to others. We're supposed to live in it. Um, you know, as I close today, I, I, I do wonder though, because even though there's not grand application in the, in the, in the verses or there's not grand exhortation or commands, there is, there is the reality is that we're called to live in this. So what does that mean? What's one thing that you and I could do to extend peace? You know, I read this quote, last, last big, big quote I'll read today is, 
is from a, a, a theologian named Miroslav Volf. And he says this, he says, inscribed on the very heart of God's grace is the rule that we can be its recipients only if we do not resist being made into his agents. What happens to us must be done by us. Having been embraced by God, we must make space for others in ourselves and invite them in, even our enemies. And he writes about this, this image of an embrace. And we as God's people are to extend peace. We're to extend and embrace, to allow others to come in. And I wonder today what God's, God's peace, what that call is for you and I. Maybe it's to have a conversation with somebody. Maybe you just need to experience God's peace afresh. Maybe for you it is a perspective thing. God, help me see God's people the way you've made us. Or maybe it's a, maybe it's a call to have a conversation and have a cup of coffee with somebody that you might not agree with, but you know that what Christ has done calls us to it. Because it all flows from this one thing, that Christ himself has brought peace to us. To God be the glory today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for, thank you that we were so far away and you brought us to yourself. Help us as a people to do the same thing. Help us to love one another. God, how will people know that we're your disciples? When we love each other. Help us do that. We're grateful for the reminder. We're grateful for the truths. And we're, thank, we're so thankful for peace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.
who's, who's grateful for Jesus today? Man. Um, so thankful that you guys all came. I really, really hope that you were encouraged, that you were reminded, that you were challenged. Um, you know, uh, I'm just so grateful. I mean, just thinking about Christ, when I was an enemy, um, he still was willing to die for me. And he did that for you and for me. And so may we, as we leave today, just remember, man, that Christ has made, given us peace. And may we extend that wherever we go, wherever he takes us this week. Hey, if you would, would you extend your hands for this, for this benediction? And the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face, uh, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, New City.